I'm always the last to know because I am not anywhere on social media, you know? And so people are like, well, you miss out on all these gigs. I'm not missing out on anything. I play gigs enough, you know, that I don't need to see every one of them. Mm-hmm. Not to mention where we live, Prescott is a town of like 50,000, you know, it's pretty small. So I wouldn't be catching any of this anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's a whole nother ball of wax. Like we could get on to the subject of just my absolute disdain for technology. Like <laughs> fucking the way that people communicate, they, you know. Present company excluded, obviously. <laughs> no, I I hear you. Um, I'll just make a just make, make a note. This dude hates tech. <laughs> Diary of Doom. I'm Dylan, and join me as we look back on the rich history of doom metal and its sister sounds based on the recounted tales of its followers. Every week, we'll have a different guest to spin their yarn. You can visit the website at diaryofdoom.com, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, follow the podcast on diaryofdoom.podbean.com, and subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or whatever shady podcast streaming app you want to use. If you have a question or want to pitch something or just feel like giving me some shit, you can fire off an email to diaryofdoom1968 at gmail.com. Underground heavy music has long been associated with any number of demeaning terms in an effort to shy mainstream listeners away. Offensive, grotesque, macabre, satanic. But the truth is that beauty and appearance are often a fabricated projection propelled by those aspiring to unrealistic expectations of themselves. There's a purity in the unattractive. Something that has been deemed in such a way knows no other manner in which to present itself. And that's why I feel that artists who create unattractive, at times harsh or borderline unlistenable uh, music, are the honest ones in this equation. And today we welcome a band who has taken upon itself the name in which no other descriptor could work better. Ugly. (laughs) Uh, Joining us for this chapter of... DOD is Brandon Hayden. He performs bass and vocals in Ugly, and they're based out of Prescott, Arizona. That's how I was told that's how it's pronounced. Uh, yeah, it's pronounced Prescott. I don't say that because I'm from Washington and people get pissed there. They go, Well, you're, <laughs> not, you're not from here. And I say, You bet your ass I'm not. I say Prescott because that's how it's spelled, but you got it right Prescott. That's pretty funny because I told my partner who's originally from Tucson and I was like, yeah, they're from Prescott. She's like, oh, well, a little words wise, it's pronounced Prescott. But yeah. in this chat, it can be pronounced Prescott. Yeah, please. Let's let's pretend we're tourists because uh, we live there. It doesn't mean we love it there. You know? <laughs> 
Um, so obviously this is not your uh, home base. You said you were based out of uh, Washington. Is that how you got to know Freiburger? Uh, yeah. So just kind of real quick. My, my wife is from Prescott uh, and we met in Oregon because she lived after college. She moved up to um, the Portland area and I'm from Washington. Um, I was born here. I lived here until... 2015, when we moved down to Prescott, we met from our subsidiary bands that we were in. We crossed paths on tour, and it's the same with Fry. You know, his band Throne of Bone. Um, really good band, by the way. Yeah, and it took me, you know, it took me years to, until I saw their name on a flyer, I thought it was Throne a Bone. When people just say it's Throne a Bone. I didn't catch the of, throne of bone, right? So I'm going, what the fuck is this? I had no perspective what the music is gonna sound like with a name like throne a bone. But it wasn't until I saw the name spelled out that I understood. But um, yeah, I saw them probably before I actually knew Fry. I really came around to chatting it up and kind of being more pals with him when he was in this band called Brain Scraper. Um, and I was doing this festival called Best Friends Only. And I think they played every year. And it was just great dude. I mean, he's one of those guys that you play a show in Seattle and you would, you would feel strange if you didn't see him out there in the crowd. You know, it would be like you're taking a uh, roll call and he's not there. Okay, well, better figure out where he is because he's he's probably really sick or something's happened because he's not at this gig. He's just a, a major, a massive uh, appreciator of, of art, which uh, appealed to me, my sensibilities. You know, so that's kind of how that's kind of how I came around to, to to meeting Fry here, and then. 2015, we moved to uh, Arizona and had fuck all to do, so we started ugly. Dylan, I see your mouth moving, but I don't hear you talking. Dylan, you muted me. I yeah, I just, it. I just, I forgot that I was muted because I was going to do something else, and I didn't want that to get picked up on there. And then my dad started texting me, so oh, let me, hell let me, yeah, <laughs> let me take that again. Yeah, so not to bury the lead or anything, but you're the latest band to join the roster over at Satanic Royalty Records, Freiburger's label. Um, and uh, we did uh, like three episodes of interviews with three of their bands uh, last year, I think, uh, whenever he launched the, the label. Um, yeah. but, they're, but they're all from up there. So you're the first one kind of from outside of the Seattle area, as far as I know, that's joined the roster, unless I'm wrong there. No, I think, I think that's right. I think that's accurate. Um, yeah, thinking just off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody that's not in Seattle proper, actually, on the roster. So uh, it's good to be the first, I guess. <laughs> um, well, before, like, you know, this moment in time, you know, what are, like, your earliest experiences with music? Did you have a musical upbringing, or did you find it on your own later on? Yeah, I, I guess, uh, in a way, I, I really did have a musical upbringing. My dad was a 
musician. Right? That's what he did for a living. But he wasn't really in my life all the time. So I can't really say that I got the bug from him um, necessarily. Uh, I think more than anything, it's kind of funny. I actually, I have a record that my dad put out in 1972 when he was about the age that I am now. So looking back at that, you know, it's, I'm, I'm actually the older person in, in the case of looking back at his photo and he looks just like me. It's, it's weird, but it's like, uh, it's like Allman Brothers kind of stuff, you know, mm -hmm. classic rock. So I, I really came into appreciating music because of my brother, Jesse. He, um, he gave me, I'm sure you probably remember like the first CDs you ever had or the first tapes or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had tons of like kids tapes as a kid, but yeah, I mean, had yeah. a million of those and then not a lot of, uh, well, we had some tapes, but we had more, a lot more CDs. Yeah. Yeah, so I was kind of late to everything. Um, I I had tapes when everybody in my age had CDs and stuff. But first tapes I ever had, I got from him. That was uh, let's see, Rolling Stones, Hot Hot Rocks, 1960, like greatest hits and whatever, and Chuck Berry and the Who, and just basically rock music. And um, man, some of the just greatest memories of like working on a car. His some piece of shit car and listening to music, you know, those two things together. And we played a lot of music. It's my, my brothers as, as well as my father were musicians, play guitar and, and bass and stuff. And so I came up doing that kind of thing. And it wasn't until my teen years that I kind of glommed on to heavy music through, through my, uh, another brother of mine, he had a bunch of, like skater friends, you know, and um, they had made some some tapes of Guar. <laughs> Guar nice. is I could I could blame Guar for all of this. Yeah, I got. I mean, really, Guar's pretty great. I just watched the documentary about them not too long ago. Uh, it was, was really it the good. one on Shutter. Was it the one? Yeah, on Shutter? yeah, it was awesome. It's it's really good. Uh, Blast from the past, kind of good memories of of listening to those records. But yeah, so. I got that and like Scum Dogs of the Universe, they have that song Slaughterama. When I was a kid, I heard that. I thought they were really executing people on a radio show. You know, <laughs> I didn't know that it wasn't real. And it was always in a horror and stuff, and that just appealed to me. And when I went to high school, you know, I, I'm sure it works like this anywhere, but when you go into high school, um, in small towns at least, a lot of the, uh, small all of the towns kind of pool their kids into the one high school you know so you meet people that that weren't there when you were in elementary or middle school right mm -hmm. and uh these kids were wearing dead kennedy shit and i didn't know what dead kennedy's was but i knew that jello biafra was on a guar album as skull head face on this toilet earth that's one of their albums and uh talk to those kids I'm like hey I don't know what that is, but this guy is on this. So we chummed it up and we became friends real quick. And they traded their knowledge of punk for my basically super fandom knowledge of guar. And that's how I really cascaded into this kind of music. But um, 
that's kind of a digression of your actual question. Yes, I grew up in a musical family. I didn't discover it on my own by any stretch. No, I mean, I think that answers it perfectly. So you think Guar is the band and uh, Scumdogs of the Universe, you think that's the album that you helped, that kind of helped change your views on heavy music? Or do you think there was something else that made you be like, oh no, this shit is serious? Yeah, I, I think that that was probably the genesis, like the progenitor kind of album um, that piqued my interest because, it, because of the absurdity and at, at my age point, I was probably like 11 when I heard it. I thought it was genuine, you know. I didn't didn't get the mechanics of, oh, they're playing. Because I never, it was a mixtape. I didn't see the costumes or anything. You know, I just thought these are crazy dudes. It, we got it on this weird tape. It's not a real tape. It's just a mix. I mean, it could have been, you know, live leak at the time kind of thing. I, I didn't know, so... That piqued my interest, and um, and then I just after I met these punk kids, it had more kind of means and accessibility to get this kind of music. I just wanted to find the most extreme shit I could find. You know, kind of got the bug from there, I guess. Actually, Guar was the first proper show that I ever saw too when I was fourteen. That's that's great. Yeah, yeah, because you know, okay. I don't know if you've really spent much time in the Northwest, but Seattle is... Um, <clears throat> None at all. Okay. So where I grew up um, is in Port Angeles Squim area. That's on the Olympic Peninsula. Um, for some kind of context, that's like uh, maybe three hours northwest of Seattle. So if you were to look at a map, it's nearly the furthest northwest in the, the continent that you can get you know, without getting up to Alaska, um, before you're just standing in the ocean. <laughs> so I, I, I was from a like real small town. You just don't get that shit out there. You know, you don't, it's different when you live in a city and there's just this at your fingertips exposure to any genre of music. You know, I didn't know anything besides what my brothers were listening to. So it really, resonated with me when I heard something different, you know, and, and hearing Guar, oh man, I gotta, I gotta find something else like this. This is crazy. Kind of, kind of where, where it came from. All right. So then after, so, you know, you go through Guar phase and you find all that stuff, like what were you up to musically before you formed Ugly and then moving down here? Yeah. Well, how far do you want to go back? Um, <laughs> It, I, I, I've been playing in bands that play gigs since I was 15. I'm approaching 35 now. So I've been doing, I've been touring in touring bands and releasing records types of bands since 2009. So, you know, aside from kids bands and young bands that I was doing when I was younger, when I really got serious and the reason that I moved from my small town, this kid moved to my town, my friend Rob, and he he knew the names, you know, the subgenre names to all the shit that these punk kids showed exposed me to. And this was probably when I was between 18 and 19 years old. Um, you know, I knew I listened to Crust all the time, uh, Power Violent, like Capitalist Casualties and 
a very little known band called Hail of Rage that was from Connecticut um, were the two bands that really kind of changed my mind about heavy music more towards like underground stuff. And so I was listening to all this stuff, but I didn't know what it was called. So this kid Rob moves to, to town and uh, he's like, yeah, that, that's like a power violence band. What? I'm taking notes kind of in my mind about all this shit. And he's like, yeah, you guys in this band Heretics that you play and like a punk band, you're playing the D beat right here and there. I didn't know that was what that was called, you know? So he's, he's kind of, he's kind of putting the, the names to the things we're already doing. And that was the band that really, we got serious with. It was called Scourge Schematic. And it was, um, it's kind of a weird conglomeration of, of, um, grind stuff and kind of t technical death metal stuff. He's really ripping guitar player. I was in a punk band, so before Scourge, I was in a punk band called Heretics, which was very much like a crust band. And then I was in like a kind of thrash, started as like a thrash band, and kind of turned into a death metal band called Rub Outs. That was my first band when I was <laughs> 15, right? Rub Outs, like <laughs> Rub Outs, not, you know. Not like rubbing one out. Yeah, <laughs> that came much later, but somebody went, you know what that means, right? Yeah, you know, like mafia, like rubbing them out. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I just I just had the dude from Conan on, and he told me that he was in a band called Release, and the R was drawn like a fucking coming dick. Damn, damn, <laughs> that's brutal. So from Conan, so it's not porno grind; it's like porno doom. <laughs> well, this was, was like pro, like what before Conan started. Yeah, that was like yeah. one of his like earlier bands too. Right. So yeah, um, skirt schematic. We 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 took over the drummer of our band Heretics, our crust band, because that band was sort of um, dissolving, and we were a three piece, no bass, because this dude Rob, he had these chops that no one in a small town. I mean, a small town. Take your pick of dudes who play music, and then take a pick that's even smaller of dudes who play extreme music. You know. Mm -hmm. So trying to find a bass player just was non-existent. I was just vocals. I was always a vocalist from my first band up until, well, I'll get there. So Skirt Schematic, we were playing shows. We, we felt cool about it. We were getting kind of a buzz about it. And then um, we decided if we want to just keep being a band and doing more stuff, we needed to go where it was happening. So we moved to Seattle. And we roughed it for a long time. We lived in my truck and um, kind of couch surfed with a few people that we knew. And we got a, got some jobs together and got a, a house that we could jam at. And that was going. Those were the first shows that I played with Fry, actually, and Throwing a Bone. And then that sort of dissolved. And uh, I started playing bass because I've always been, always been uh, like a core writer of a lot of the music of my early bands and well now I, I write most of the music in most of my bands now but but I didn't play an instrument so it was really hard to communicate my my thoughts on arrangements and riffs and just trying to like hum to somebody you know which is kind of embarrassing so I started playing bass kind of out of necessity to transpose my ideas and uh and I was sort of just encouraged by the people around me to keep doing it. So 
that's when I um, kind of got serious about trying to play the instrument and um, started a band with some, some dudes from Seattle. Actually, funny enough, I had mentioned earlier a band Hail of Rage from, from Connecticut that sort of changed my view on extreme music. The guitar player, the brainchild of that band, moved to Seattle, and that's who we ended up recording our first skirt schematic uh, demo with. And we recorded it because we were looking at the roster of shit and I said, this dude's in Hail of Rage. Said, yep, that's awesome. Love it. Gotta, gotta, gotta meet this guy. And he recorded Capitalist Casualties records. Those are my two favorite bands. So funny enough, he lives in Seattle. And then flash forward a few years after we recorded with him and now I'm playing in a band with him. I was a little bit, was a little bit, um, starstruck in a way i guess mm -hmm. even though he's just a dude <laughs> and that also kind of pushed me to try harder to get decent at my instrument so that band was 2009 and it was called streetwalker and um, we put out an lp and a couple seven inches and those were my first tours 2009 we toured half of the country basically uh, all the West Coast and through the Southwest and then up back up to Seattle through the Rockies. 2010, we did a U.S. tour. 2011, we did a tour with Catheter um, from Colorado. And then 2012, I joined Catheter and Streetwalker and Catheter did a European tour. It was way too long. It was like 62 days or something. And I was playing in both bands and I ostensibly broke my arm two weeks into the tour. So it was a, it was a hard time. So Streetwalker kind of came to a close and started doing Endorphins Lost, which is more of a power violence band, which I still do now with the guitar player from Streetwalker. And uh, through all of that stuff, I, I started kind of finding different flavors of heavy shit. I, I wanted to be able to I don't know. You know, when you get a band that's, they're good, but they try and put too many elements into one kettle and you get, yeah. you get what I call like the Ashland, Oregon kind of prescription, which is, yeah, we're like a black metal band with ska parts. No effects <laughs> parts. What? The, the two, it's apples and oranges, whatever. I didn't want to have that issue. So I started getting a kind of heavy, slow shit. And, um, I, did a sludge band with some dudes from my hometown called Crone. Um, that lasted for a few years. We put out a 7-inch and an LP into the tour. And then um, about that time, I moved to, to Arizona. And that's kind of when Ugly happened, 2015. 16, 2016. Wow. So it's like a pretty epic musical journey for you, man. You're like, you're a lifer. It's, yeah. Well, I, I will take that as a point of pride. I'm a lifer. I, I am. Um, even if I can't play live anymore, I'll always make the stuff. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's the way I work out my, my shit. It's the way I work out my problems is put it into a song, something awful, and then transpose it to, it's like you're flipping the script kind of, and you're making it into something that for some reason people can relate to and enjoy, you know, it's kind of cool. It's kind of magical in a way. So how did Ugly come together? That's kind of a funny question. 
So let's see, we moved in 2015 and my wife Krista and I, I don't know if this question will come up or not, but I'll answer it here. A thing that influenced me for, for heavy music, um, slow, like slower kind of stuff, is uh, that band from New York called The Swans. Yes. Uh, the early works, you know, their, early, their first four records or whatever are just... Like Cop and shit like that. Cop, Filth. Uh, Greed, Holy Money, and the live album, especially um, Public Castration is a Good Idea. Those albums, uh, it's like the music is extremely primal or, or atonal at times and stuff, but I've never heard something that replicates just the, I don't know, bad feeling, I guess you'd say. It's like if an, if art can... It's like when you watch a movie and it makes you want to cry or it gives you goosebumps or something, you know, yeah. if something can do that, whether I like it or not, I value it as good art. It made me feel something. And um, that album, Cop, when I mentioned the, the live album, Public Castration is a good idea, but it makes the hair on my arm stand up. So I wanted to do something that had that same type of uncomfortable feeling. And we had talked about doing it before we moved to Arizona. Um, so it was an idea that we had, but we just had too much shit going on to really do anything. So about a year later, I kind of started making some friends in Prescott. And uh, this dude, Chris, he plays in this crazy band. <laughs> I guess you'd call it like a cyber grind band because they have like a drum machine and, okay, okay, okay. and and it's just insane songs about fucking Star Wars and crazy shit. Anyway, his bands were kind of not doing too much at the time and I just sort of seen it as, okay, this dude's got chops, he's serious about playing music and he obviously knows a little bit about the different genres out there. So I approached him at the same time I was emailing with uh you know this band called graph orlock have you ever heard oh, of them? yeah they're fucking awesome yeah so at the drummer adam he moved to phoenix and um i kind of got in touch with him through some the the guys in landmine marathon my band plays my wife plays in this band landmine marathon and those guys know all kinds of dudes like hey who are some available musicians they go well this dude adam from Graf Orlock, he uh, just moved here and he's not doing much. So I hit him up with this idea of, hey, how would you feel about playing like scary music? You know, I mentioned Swans. I can't remember if he knew really or God, early God Flesh, if he knew what that kind of shit, if he was into it or not. But he goes, yeah, I, I'm, I'm down to try something different than grind because that's all I do. So I, I met up with this dude, Chris. So I'm at a gig, this dude from the Cybergrind Blister Unit band, I said, hey, what would you think about doing a band that's like Morbid Angel? It's like all of the slow parts of Morbid Angel, but that's it. It's just the scary, abysmal shit that Morbid will do on some of their albums. And he was totally down. And uh, cool, that's great. And it happens that he's from LA and he loves Graf Orlock. So that kind of roped him in as playing guitar his interest in doing it. And then 
graph or luck adam that dude dipped out because he was too busy you know he's a family man he just moved and shit can't commit sorry you guys are like two hours away from phoenix too so it's going to be a logistical problem so the dude that sort of started the band never even is responsible for the band kind of coming to more than just an idea never even set foot in the jam room so here (laughs) me and the guitar player here are trying to figure out Okay, well, we want to do this thing. We made all these demos using like uh, Logic, GarageBand, stuff like that. I didn't know anyone there. He couldn't recommend any drummers or anything that were serious. So I just, Hail Mary, put out an ad on Craigslist. And I went, you know, it's pretty specific about what I'm looking for. I'm looking for guys who want to do stuff like Early Swans and Godflesh. And, you know, heavy parts of Morbid Angel and this kind of stuff. Muth Grush, Dystopia. I name-dropped all these bands. And I got the funniest replies. I mean, you could probably imagine dudes in a small town, their idea of metal, you know? I was in the labor kind of industry for a long time. And people find out, I'm band, oh, you're in a metal band? Yeah, sure. Uh, kind of. Well, like what? 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 Like, like Rob Zombie? No, I, I don't. I don't even want to try and explain this. I can't explain it to you. You know, it's I know. Just, I get that at work. People are like, "Oh, are you like what kind of bands are you into?" And I'm just like, "I'm into like metal." And they're like, "Oh, well." I'm like, yeah, "Just hard rock. Just leave it at that." Yeah, hard rock, <laughs> totally. Now I, I came down to the kind of music you don't listen to. You know, as, imagine the just most crass noise pollution you could think of. That's what I do, and that usually shuts them up. But yeah, so I get these just ridiculous emails uh, for about a week that I had that post up about about shit. And dudes were just so mad that I, I already had the idea worked out, you know. I go, <laughs> I remember this one pretty well. This guy goes, yeah, you know, I, I rock Morbid Angel every day, but then I'll go home and I'll play Noah Green Day or, or Jack, uh, Jack Johnson. You just never know what somebody's going to bring to the – to the table in the jam room going, motherfucker, you're not the one that I want to be doing anything with. You know, <laughs> this, is not, this isn't a jam room. <laughs> yeah. It's in, it's in a jam room. I, I know what I want. I've been through enough tryouts and for the audio, I'm giving air quotes, tryouts where people say that they do this shit and they show up and just embarrass themselves. I, that's embarrassing to me. So I don't want to be in that situation. I want to weed out, any small time guy that doesn't already have a compass for what we're doing right off the bat. So I, I got about a week of these emails and then out of nowhere, this dude, Ben Black hit me up. He's like, Hey, um, I don't really listen to, I don't really know these particular bands, but like high on fire or something like that. I'm familiar with. I go, okay, cool. That's a starting point. And our first jam with him, dude rip. I mean, just as a as a person and as a musician, he was extremely um, uh, versatile to to all of the input that, that I was trying to suggest on the drums. Okay, I got this sort of idea about a beat or whatever, and uh, there was no ego about him. It's just okay, cool, yeah, let's try it. It ripped. So that's how the core of the band started. We played two shows, and then my wife went, okay, I'm coming around. I have time to do this idea that we had. We're moving here, so now I want to join. And then she came in as vocals, and that's just 
progressed ever since. Now she plays five instruments um, at once. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, that's that's how that came about. Uh, it's kind of the try, trial and error in small towns and just kind of working with what you got. But luckily for us, we found the right people the first time, you know, which is unusual. I'm from a small town and that never happens, you know. And if it does happen, the band's around for like a year. They never put anything out. They never tour. And then they hate each other. So 2016 to now, I think we're doing pretty good. (laughs) I'd say so. And it's quite a journey, you know, like, like, seems like a lot has changed, but in a good way since you started out, you know, when I was listening back to your earlier releases, you know, I, I don't think that ugly has like the same caustic sonic edge that a lot of other sludge bands offer but you're absolutely talking about some grim and uncomfortable shit it's kind of like kane if you've listened to them but like without the evil goblin alan dubin voice so like how do you find the right balance of discomfort but also creating an effective song with a message because I'm coming from being a lyricist first, always, I, I was a vocalist before I was a musician, uh, an instrument player, I would always have the content in mind first. So the way I would write a song is I would write down a bunch of words, just about something I was feeling or something I saw. And then I would try and find sound that, that matched that feeling, you know? It's kind of like um, decorating a house and, this color goes with the feng shui here is working right, you know? So it's like, what of all the riffs that this, you know, guitar player or whoever wrote the riffs at the time have, what sounds the most like this content feels when I say it? And that's how it kind of started. So when I started playing an instrument, it just carried over. So I just try and curtail the music to sound like what the message feels like if that makes sense it's kind of backwards engineering a lot of guys they'll just write shit they'll write music like yeah this is a cool song and then they'll kind of put words to it you know yeah the words don't really matter yeah i kind of do it backwards and like you mentioned your wife is in the band uh so you have two vocalists and yeah it's pretty interesting because you get these like wailing cries and like that adds a really unsettling, effective layer to your music. What's that dynamic like between the two of you? Do you try to like, do you try to do more songs where it's just you're each covering a song or I, I feel like you must have ones where it's both of you? Yeah, actually there's not, it w- I would say that we do 50-50 on the vocal duties through the entire catalog. It, it kind of comes down to Krista has a different range and kind of a different style than I do vocally. So mm-hmm. again, it goes back to the content. It's like, what is this feeling like? And, um, <clears throat> and who, you know, should be addressing this part of it. But it also comes down to a practical sense of, okay, we both are playing instruments too. So we've got to think about if we're going to play this live, what's practical? You know, can you, can you rub your belly and tap your head at this part? Mm -hmm. And if not, I'll take that part over, you know, kind of thing. But it's, it's really neat because you can, 
I don't really know that we explored this so much in the, the like the demo. Maybe maybe in the in the first EP we did, but we start kind of having these overlapping polyrhythms. You know, one person could be doing one kind of cadence, and the other person kind of chime in or call and response kind of stuff. It just makes another dynamic layer to what we're doing, and and this band kind of the thing that we really try and do is make something dynamic because for me personally nothing kills a doom like the doom genre sludge genre than a song that overstays its welcome you know a song that's like six minutes of the same shit throughout it's like cool i got the first one minute it's going to be the same for the, the remaining five i'm checking out but it is possible to make songs that are really long but don't seem really long because it, they capture your interest through the entire thing. Mm-hmm. So the vocals trading off between the two of us helps with that, I think. It just creates another kind of layer of interest. I've noticed on, let me just, uh, Betrayal, like you break that album up with this funny little interlude. It's not really funny, but this little interlude of like welcoming country music juxtaposed against a pretty brutal argument, which I'm assuming like is you and your your wife, you know, staging it for the recording. Is that kind of like what you're doing to just throw in some like like some curveballs to keep people like, oh, kind of surprised and whatnot. I mean, you also you do have a very long song. It's got a lot of silence in the middle. And it's just like again, like down home kind of country music. Actually, it's funny. We we wrote that song. All of that was all yeah, of that. We we made all of that for That's really that. Cool. Yeah, a lot of work goes into. You, you'll notice through the catalog, there's lots of songs with soundscapes and sound samples and stuff. We make all of that shit. We don't like rob it from you know albums or or TV or anything. It's part of the reason is because you don't want to cease and desist. But the other part is that. 100% of everything you're experiencing is something that has intention. Um, so to that point, to your point of your question, um, it's not really about throwing curveballs in. It's more about the juxtaposition of something that's out of place. You know, for me, musically, some of the most ugly things is is when you experience something that's just out of place. I, I'm tr- tiptoeing in the waters of sexism probably with this one. <laughs> but like, uh, you ever see your father cry, bawling? <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. Where it's like, okay, this is a guy who through his entire life, he's tried to look like a stoic, you know, stone of a person. And he's just bawling now. That is uncomfortable. That's ugly to me, you know? And so that is where things like um, the song you're referring to, that soundscape comes in before a song called When I Failed, which is essentially about adultery. Not necessarily, but in this specific case, it's like, you know, adultery. That's this whole domestic fight. And in in the song, it leads to murder. The idea of When I Failed you can never unsee me. The only time you'll ever see me from, from here out 
you'll only see me in the light of when I was my worst. When I failed you, I can never atone for that, you know? And so putting this thing, this whimsical kind of music in with this horrible thing, it's like, it's like uh, seeing a beautiful bird in a fucking oil slick or something. It's just uncomfortable, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of, that, that is where that idea comes from. You, you get something angelic and something beautiful. It's like destroying something beautiful. You go, to what purpose? Why would you ever do that? But that's what people do. That's what we do all the time. So it, that's, that's sort of the entire modus operandi of this band. It's just kind of exploiting the worst of human traits. So, yeah, that's a real long-winded way to explain <laughs> the country in the middle of the fucking album. It's creative and emotionally charged. So therefore, I think it strikes a nerve probably with people who, you know, maybe they've gone through that experience. And I've certainly gone through my fair share of complicated family bullshit over the years. Yeah. And anyone who says they haven't is lying. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yep. There's no perfect nuclear family, that's for sure. You've got this, you got a new album coming out. What's it called? It's called Autograph. And uh, when does it come out? Well, you know, it's hard to pin down because record plants are just, I don't know, the coolest thing in the world is put out LPs now. Um, so we're hoping a year, we're hoping this time next year or earlier, but kind of just wait for the plant to say, hey, here it comes. <laughs> you put it in as soon as you can and basically project a year from from then so yeah i i think you're uh sharing that pain with a lot of other people i guess in the meantime uh tell us a little bit about the album like do you think it's different from previous releases do you think like the the vibe has changed and not not in a bad way or anything like that but i mean do you think you as a band have changed since the first releases i'll let you do a talk about that <laughs> yeah i do i think that Every album from our demo has been sort of, it's like looking at a staircase, you know, it's like uh, there's a different element in every, every rung, every release, um, every step tread or whatever. So the first album, Krista was just doing vocals and it was, you know, heavy kind of bordering industrial sludgy shit at times. And then the next the Wall EP, there was a little bit of um, like uh, synth shit going on. Krista picked up <clears throat> doing synthesizer stuff, and we implemented that in. And the song structures got a little more involved, a little more dynamic uh, peaks and valleys, you know, the real heavy spots, and then it dropped down to nothing and then build it back up. Betrayal, our first LP that you're talking about that had a lot more heavy on the synth stuff. And then she was doing auxiliary percussion too. So it's like every album, Krista, I just throw another instrument at her in her <laughs> whole shitstorm she's already got going on. And this album is no different. Autograph has um, kind of showcases this weird machine that we made. It's an instrument we made, sort of like a noise machine. It's got no elements of just noise in it. The songs are 
much more, I don't, I don't want to say prog because I don't want to give the wrong idea, but they're way more involved. I, I wouldn't even say that it's like a sludge band. It's just an uncomfortable listening experience uh, in a good way, I think. But yeah, they're, they're more like journeys. They're not really songs anymore. Mm -hmm. They're just becoming more of these odysseys of just crazy things that we're slamming together. You know, there's piano parts, there's brass sections, um, there's these long jam passages kind of thing, laid in, laid, laid in with a bunch of soundscapes and, and just weird progressive noise instruments that we made. It's definitely an evolution from the last LP, but it still has the same kind of, it does this thing, this weird journey, and then it gets really crushing heavy for a little while. We're, we're trying to keep it within the same ilk, the same kind of broad scope, but always evolve the music. I'm looking forward to listening to it. You know, I was looking forward to it too, but I, this is the first album, first LP that I recorded and mixed all the way, and I'm sick of listening to the fucker. You know, <laughs> when you do that, you gotta listen to it a million times before you send it to mastering to know it's the one. God, I don't wanna listen to it anymore, but I'm excited for it to come out. <laughs> I think when it comes out, you will have a different response. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for others to hear it. I'm, gonna, I'm excited for others to digest it and, and uh, hopefully enjoy it. As somebody who does not like technology, though, like, are you at all, like, intimidated by that down the road? Or are you just like, nope, if it's worked fine for me so far. It'll be fine when it happens again. In regards to what, the recording aspect or... No, because I'm sure you seem like somebody who's probably comfortable with technology that actually like benefits you creatively, but um, not so much uh, technology where it's like kind of existing, well, I guess for lack of a better word, like the internet or social media or some of the more like uh, the other things that have sort of taken the heavy music scene by storm. I mean, if you yeah. don't have an Instagram as, as a band, it's almost like, you know, what are you even doing? Yeah, it's not that I would yes. not that I would give anybody shit if they were like, fuck that. I don't care. <laughs> right. As far as, you know, being an engineer of the music um, and recording it and stuff, um, the tech that is involved to get there is pretty involved. But like you said, it serves me directly because this is the vehicle for us to get the music out there. Right. So. I have spent, I've invested my time to learn just a few things of <laughs> the tools that really benefit what we're trying to do. And that's it. I mean, I am, I am degrees away from calling myself a Luddite. Clearly we're talking via the internet, cell phone. I have a cell phone on this side and that's beneficial, but I only know the building blocks enough to get by. I don't want to know anything else about it. I, did, I don't want to use it unless it's kind of forced upon me. <laughs> then I'm forced to learn, you know? I'm not daunted in like recording or doing anything that involves the capture of music. I feel incentivized and um, kind of inspired to learn more about it. But 
don't don't tell me I got to be making a music video or something. I don't, you know, put more shit on me or like a live stream of us playing. That's beyond my beyond my capabilities, and I, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to be on any part of the marketing side. I just want to make the stuff. I want to. Con- my biggest thing is I don't want to have to try to convince somebody that this is cool. You know, because I don't, I don't really care. I think it's cool. I, it was, it was important enough for me to make it, and that's really it for me. I, I appreciate it. Um, the band appreciates it. It helps us all in our daily lives to make the music, and uh, that's it. That's, that's all I really have interested in. So having somebody like Fry who gives a shit about the marketing and the pushing it. Man, I couldn't be happier about that because that's not my, it's not my place. I, I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't put it out if I had to do it completely mm-hmm. by myself. You know, I don't care enough to, I don't know, connect with strangers in that regard, but I love making the music. Maybe that answers the question. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I answers the question for me makes sense. I mean, I kind of wish that we we're not so ingrained to this, like a lot of these platforms and whatnot, you know, make music survive for a long time without them. But now it seems like you can't, it's like an impossibility without them now. And kind of even going beyond that with all their social impact and sort of what has, what they, what they have ushered forth into the world is always a little bit questionable as well, you know? Yeah. And like what they're being used for, who's using your information actually, you know, is this secure? Right. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky that in, in Ugly, my other bandmates do our promotion on social media and stuff. But somebody will ask me something about a current hot topic in music or even my own band will tell me about something that I have no clue what you're talking about. I'm, I'm willfully electively removed from knowing you know because it just drives me nuts it drives me nuts to know everything instantly when it's said it happens there's no time for reflection you know that kind of thing it's the same with music i think the advent of having immediate you know on youtube you can find music Bandcamp, spotify it's cool but people don't digest the music the same that they did when they had to go to a record store and buy the tape or the CD or whatever and really absorb every, every facet of it. At least that's what I did. You know, I'd look at all the lyrics. I would look at the credits, who put it out. And that's kind of how I would find out, maybe I would like this other band. You know, Six Weeks Records put out this. Instead of looking at the covers of bands, because I, I was like finding something new, I'd look at who put it out. Okay. Well, Six Weeks Records put this record out, too. So I'll check it out. And, you know, nine times out of ten, it's within the same kind of ilk of music. And I only knew that because I was forced to listen to this one record, this one album. I just bought it. I give it a couple weeks of play, nonstop play. Where it's like now, I mean, just today, I'm bored. I'm sitting around waiting for band practice. I've listened to about nine bands, two of their songs, three of their songs. And just on to the next one, you know. I'll download the full album and I'll listen to it later on my plane ride to Europe tomorrow. But right now, I can't even tell you 
which band was which. They all sound the same. It's just it's it's like it hits your receptors and bounces off. That's the major problem that I have with just the modern tech, you know. Yeah, just there's so much of it given to you at your luxury. And there's at times where even me, I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm not where I catch myself being like, am I actually listening to this or am I just feeling good that I took it off my to listen to list, which exactly. is growing every single day, you know? Exactly. And, and you probably have some type of um, secondary or, or sort of subliminal pressure that you've got to listen to this because there's a lot of gatekeeping that goes on with genres and things, you know, it's like, uh, oh, well, you haven't heard this yet. You must be living under a rock. Like, what? It just came out. I mean, it came out like last week. Well, yeah, well, you know. Or, and also cool. just, it's okay. It's okay if you missed it. It's not going anywhere. Right, It'll, exactly. You'll That's find it somewhere. It's timeless. It's been recorded. It's out there in the world. To some capacity it's there when you're ready for it i'm not into the gatekeeping and that whole like it's like oh well you weren't there and it's like well who fucking care oh wow you listened to a song within the first 30 minutes it came out like who gives a shit yeah you got a lot of free time on your hand Sound like a dude <laughs> have you listened to anything that uh has caught your ear lately yeah i have so um when we were at MDF, actually, I had mentioned, I think before we started recording, the um, going to a punk show, the Warthog gig down the street mm -hmm. with Carcass Plant. And on the changeover music on the PA, this band was playing, I'm going, what the, f it's flipping my wig. What the fuck is this? Sounds like some, it sounded like some B-sides hi-fi production of early swan shit. I'm going, what is it? I had to track down, find out who the DJ or the, the sound person was. I said, what are we listening to? And they go, it's Chat Pile. Oh, yeah. They, I never, you know, they've had some EPs and stuff. This band Chat Pile is fucking doing the scary thing. And, yeah, they're um, incredible. It's, it's resonating with me. The, the album in particular that I'm referring to is, uh, it's an EP called Remove Your Skin, Please. Oof. Yeah, I listen to that shit and it, made the hair on my arms stand up real good real good um we like the the inter arma the last inter arma yep. records quite a bit as a band i mean this is how it happens um our drummer ben he's a little more kind of on point with finding new shit i i go back to the oldies you know the same stuff that i've listened to forever he'll hit me to something you know oh did you check this out or you should listen to this album, check it out. And uh, he got me really turned on to Intro stuff. The Yaucha stuff is real good. I think that's a pretty good kind of cross-pollination of fast and slow stuff all jammed into one song that doesn't just feel like riffs are thrown together without intention, you know? They're set in a mood. That's been real good. Uh, anything that the band Hell from Portland puts out, which is yeah, actually real good named Matt, uh, MSW, anything he puts out is, is really uh, piqued my interest as well. So, yeah, that's kind of what I've experienced uh, as far as newer heavy stuff. Like I said, I, I kind of just go back to the same stuff that I know 
is going to do it for me a lot of times. Um, and we play with a lot of bands. So that's usually my new exposure. But as far as listening material, uh, definitely that chat pile EP smokes. I think they're like geared up to be one of the best reviewed album releases of the year, like hands down. They're playing two nights at St. Vitus. Both are sold out. We're sold out like within minutes, it seemed. I could be making that up, but let's just say it was. Yeah, and see, I wouldn't know this. I, I Listening to it and seeing they didn't have a proper LP and they've been a band for a few years, I thought they were kind of small time, you know? Oh, um, another band called Bummer, not to be confused with uh, a really great kind of grind violence bummer band called Bummer here in the Northwest. This band is from, I think, Kansas. They play kind of like noise rock sludge. That's really good, too. I um, think they opened up for Whores when they played yeah, out that, here. That would, that would seem to be a pairing that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, they're cool. I, I think I like that stuff quite a bit. Uh, the new Backslider record is awesome. I mean, it's not sludge stuff, <laughs> but those dudes, they know what it's about. Yeah, that's good. What have I been listening to? I listened to the new Netherlands album, Cali Corvette. Always great. Go listen to Timo's appearance earlier in the year. Um, I listened to the new Holy Fawn album, Dimensional Bleed. If you don't know what they are, it's like ambient, heavy shoegaze stuff. I listened to the new Bloodbath record. First time I've ever listened to Bloodbath. I thought it was really good. I listened to the new album by Cripple Black Phoenix called Banefire, which is like wide-scale, post-rock, influenced by shoegaze and metal. I thought it was like fine. I might check out some of their deeper discography. Uh, and then I went back and listened to King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizards album, 12 Bar Brews. A little more of a psychedelic garage rock sound there, but also great as usual. Yeah, you know... Murlocs, that was a band that I discovered in the last year or so, and I think that that's similar members. Psych kind of, psych stuff, pretty good. Um, there's a couple of local bands. Have you heard this band called Thra from Phoenix? T-H-R-A, Thra. That is a band that I think would be right up your alley for heavy, kind of doomy, sludgy shit. They are just venomous. I feel like the dude in Conan told me about them. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I think it wouldn't they, shock they, me. They probably hosted or played the show with them when they came through the Phoenix. Thra's really good. Super sweet dudes. Also, another band that just came to mind um, from Tucson called Realize. It's heavy shit, but it's not like doom heavy. It's more on the kind of gnarly industrial tip. It's mm. like really gnarly Godflesh, early Godflesh or something. Again, they have a drum machine and and just fucking walls of guitar, you know, as far as on their recordings. Massive guitar tone, really heavy, weighty guitar and bass sound. It's just, yeah, it's good. It's real good. Stuff doesn't overstay. It's welcome. It keeps my interest. That's worth checking out, too. Nice. Well, I mean, I, I live with somebody who's from there, so we're kind of obligated to... Check out bands from Tucson, just as I'm obligated to kind of like everybody, every band from New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh, the proxy. It's like, boy, I, your band stinks, but you guys are so sweet. I, <laughs> that shit happens to me. That shit happens to us, actually, 
sometimes and we go, we make a joke about it. You know, you're like, what do you say to someone when they come off the stage and they're a pal of yours? You know, you hosted a show for them, let's say, in uh, Phoenix, Flagstaff, and they come through on tour. You haven't heard the band, but you know the guys. They come, they play, and they really surprise you with a stinker. And then they go, hey, what'd you think of the set? Ooh, uh, you looked awesome. Your amps, <laughs> amps look killer. You know, those amps new, look killer. Hey, those new shoes, they look sweet up there. <laughs> anything, anything you can, because there's no, there's no sense in bullshit. Someone, I mean, it's the same with you. If you're obligated to like any band in New Jersey, no, no, you're not. No, you're not I, doing, I know. I'm you're not saying doing that any, uh, I'm being not a doing little them any favors. Not doing them any favors if they suck, and not telling them as your friend. Because if they suck to you, they probably suck to other people, and they're going to go out there and just embarrass themselves. You know. Yeah, and I try not to be that, like, such a Debbie Downer being like, oh, you know, that band sucks or whatever, because, I don't know, a lot of it's like, I think most of what my response is in this situation is like, this is just not for me. It's not that these people are untalented, and to say that they're a bad band is, like, not correct. Right. But there are some bands that suck. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's be fair. I should try to find one. Um, well, you can look at a lot of my previous catalog. <laughs> well, no, I meant um, I meant uh, new band, a band from New Jersey that I actually think is like really bad. Oh, baby, give me a list when we're off off air. Give me a list. I love listening to bullshit in my downtime. You know, love it. In fact, I've just gotten onto this tip. I I never listened to Black Label Society. <laughs> Like, yeah, I was just, I wasn't exposed to it. And then I kind of saw the image and just, nah, don't care. Man, I, that is a, that is a journey through bad for me. Journey through bad. It's. I've not spent a lot of time with BLS, but I can't say that what I checked out really felt like it was warranted my time. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, uh, if there's any, you know, BLS super fans, they play what they're doing real good it's just not something i ever ever need to hear well on that note (laughs) do you have anything that you would like to uh plug i mean obviously you know new record new label um record's going to come out next year give them all those deets um but you don't do the social media but i think we can track you down on on instagram (laughs) and Bandcamp. yeah the band the band entity is there i personally am not Plug. Let's see. Well, no, not really. Uh, just keep checking out for new records because there's some pretty cool stuff coming out. We just did a tribute, a song. We contributed a song to uh, a Man Is the Bastard tribute record. So that's going to be pretty interesting because I don't know if you're familiar with the band, but they're sort of the progenitors of power violence. Um, okay. They kind of coined the term, but it's really bizarre music. I mean, it's not like spaz or something where it's conventional music. It's very forward-thinking. It's pretty elevated-thinking music. Mm -hmm. And we were asked to do a song for it. And so we took their interpretation of, you know, this kind of stuff and made it our own thing. And 
feel pretty good. We, we were, we were a little, it was a little daunting to do because we're going, how do we transform this song into something that is cohesive for what we do? And uh, we found a way to do it, and that was cool. Deep Six Records will be putting that out. So that's cool. Um, we did a four-way split with, uh, let's see, Sidetracked from Tacoma. Grin and Barrett is on it in the Midwest. I can't remember exactly where. I think Cleveland. And then um, a band called Musket Hawk. I just, it just struck me. I'm going, Musket Hawk. How do they stick the two words together? Anyway, I'm not sure where they're from, but that's coming out on To Live Lie Records. And some new tunes by us. Ugly. So, yeah, that's all I got for plugs. I, don't, I, I can't really think of anything else. I will say, here, if we go down as anything ugly, we want to be known as the heaviest band in the Tri-Walmart area. (laughs) Nice. And I'll tell you why. We live in Prescott, and the next town over is Prescott Valley. It's about 15 miles away. In a 15-mile radius, you know, perimeter, there's three fucking Walmarts, super Walmarts. Before pandemic, it was... 24 hours, nonstop, just shitting, consuming, shitting. That's modern Americana. So in, in, in the theme of being ugly, we're the heaviest band in the Tri-Walmart area. Plug that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Me too. A, it's a great branding. <laughs> yeah, we're the first. The first in the... In the uh, TWA coalition, you could say. <laughs> TWA, you should get a patch of that. Or like hey, I'm one step that. further. I'm going BLS. I'm gonna rip off the triple rocker patches, the biker patches. Nice. Have, have a new turf war and get killed by some actual bikers over some dumb shit. <laughs> Zach Wilds is gonna come up and kick you in the dick. No, he he's been kicked in the dick by real bikers. That's the fucking. Oh man, that's the funny thing. And it's so funny to me that, oh, yeah, it was just Zach had this idea after reading this Sonny Barger book about the Hells Angels. That's not an idea. That's appropriation of, of a one percentile group. They, had, they did this thing. Now you're going to do this thing even though you aren't bikers. That's just poserdom, isn't it? I mean, in- I mean, yeah, I guess technically. Yeah. Well, it's working for them because people love the shit out of them. I want to get there with Tri-Walmart Area Coalition. So I think the place we start is the triple rocker MC, you know, biker patches on the backs of the jackets. we got to start mass producing those. And that is something I should reach out to Zach Wild about. He probably knows. <laughs> he probably knows. I wish you luck in that endeavor. Yeah, that'll never that'll never happen. It's he's leagues leagues above me. <laughs> well, maybe one day. Um, but for the time being, uh, Ugly's got the new record autograph coming out sometime next year. This was cool. This was a really cool chat, man. Thanks for coming on and uh, shout outs to Fryburger for setting this up. And go check out and support Satanic Royalty Records. They got some cool fucking bands on there. I think that'll do it for this chapter of the diary. Thanks, cool. man. I appreciate your uh, time and listening to me. Uh, Listen to me talk at you. And thank you, Fry, for making this happen. Cheers. Cheers to PopCap. Bye.
we went to Maryland FS this last year. And, well, I was there. I was yeah, there. I, I was kind of looking over your podcast and I saw like an MDF kind of report episode or something. <coughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I had never gone before and uh, I knew somebody from the podcast who had gone previously. So we just talked about it for a while. And uh, man, it was a weird, <laughs> it was a weird weekend. Sure was. So did you, maybe this is just me that picked this up, but did you pick up the, uh, the fashion sense that all the metalheads had? What I mean is that they have their, you know, they have their vest with all their studs and patches and stuff. They have their obscure, I don't know, you know, death t-shirt from fucking 1988 or whatever. They had everything looking proper to the waistline. Then from there down, it was and one shorts and like Crocs. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, hey, you got to be ventilated, but you got to look sick. People only see it from the waist up. That's, we saw that everywhere. Edison Lot and all this. There's the mass push of all the crowd. You don't see anything. And then when you're standing kind of in the back, you, you can see the drips and drabs of how people are actually dressed. <laughs> it's, it's all just super casual down low and metal to the fucking nines up top. Pretty sweet. Yeah, felt, I, I, kept it to a, I, I kept it to a pretty comfortable t-shirt and shorts for most of the weekend, if not all of it. Um, but yeah, there were some very, very entertaining uh, fashion statements there, as you said. Really, uh, I think I saw like a unicorn or some kind of unicorn themed thing, you know, at least a couple of furries, you know. Yeah, this chicken guy that I think has gone to everyone. That, that costume's got to stink by now. I mean, what, <laughs> 20 of them or something. I think it's, you know, the same kind of get up. But I just found that interesting. I, I wonder if it'll be the same kind of trend in Europe where they want to feel comfortable. Because standing out, standing out in a humid room or outside in 80 degree weather when it's humid out in a leather jacket, you know, that's your punk jacket. It looks sick. You got to wear it. But... It's fucking 100% humidity outside. Let's be practical. Then the come on the basketball shorts. You know, that's, uh, that was, that was interesting. That was an interesting take. Lots of bald guys, bald metal head Hesher dudes, and, and one basketball shorts. <laughs> yeah, and like a lot of skullets. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That's... Which is like fine. I don't care, you know, <laughs> not either. But that was the look. John Skull Train. <laughs> That's what they had going. Totally. Yeah, I, I mean, I had a good time for sure. Absolutely was worth going. But yeah, it was a really fucking crazy weekend. Like, not to, not for me, just for everything else that was going on that weekend. Like, yeah, between the weather and like the person that took their life and oh uh, yeah that's right um the, the weird sex <laughs> yes that that's right during the autopsy set there was a little cunnilingus happening i heard yeah I, you know how they always do like websites or whatever always do like the 20 most notable moments from the heavy metal scene in 2022 or whatever year it is That'll probably be number one. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder, I mean, were you witness to that? 
I was not. I, I right. saw so I saw it secondhand, but I was yeah. within the vicinity of when it happened, but I did not yeah. see it happen. Well, and that's the thing at, at, at such a freak show event, something like that could be happening unless you're right in close proximity, you wouldn't even know because you're distracted by some other crazy ass thing that's happening at all times. Right. You know? Yeah. I also miss that, you know, and I think to myself, well, shit, I paid good money to come here to see this and I missed it. So I feel bad. I feel bad about it. Uh, it was a weird, yeah. weird, it's a weird it's a weird experience we played there the year before this one and then we went to it just as spectators and i can honestly say i don't like doing festivals unless i'm playing them it's too much they are a commitment it's it's yeah it's a, and it's just it borders on absurd absurdity really fast you know i mean all these bands are bands you like but when you put them all together at one time for hours on end, it can quickly make you not like something, you know? I kind of had that like thought process when I was on like, I don't even know the, the like seventh death metal band. And it, I just like, all I could hear was just like some variation of that. And, um, I was just like, oh man, I, I'm enjoying this, but it's kind of weird how like it all just kind of sounds like that. Yeah, well, and I, I think that it, depending on the venue you're at, my favorite was Edison Lot. The year we played, they didn't have Edison Lot, the outdoor. Yeah. They just had Soundstage and um, Ram's Head. But that Soundstage, the subs are just so booty shaking bass that if you're standing back where the merch is, all you hear is the kick drum and the vocals and just like a high harshness of guitar. You know, it, it's like the room is, it's got a proximity effect going on. So if you're not standing in the right place, it just sounds like Vietnam, you know? So that is like, oh, cool. Wanted to see this band, but it just sounds fucking nuts. And you wouldn't know because you think you're standing in a good spot. It's a, it's a weird thing. I'm glad that I've seen it a couple of times, but I think just the one time is all I needed. <laughs> well, I imagine that if you're performing there, it's like you're, uh, you're not like having to deal with going through the crowds and standing in line and you have access to food and water and toilets like a lot quicker than, you know, we do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had quick access cause I did buy a VIP for Edison lot just cause I was uh, like, fuck it. Why not? Yeah, um, I I would agree with that. It's I don't know. I I'm the kind of person that I don't. I also don't go on vacations. You know, if I'm just somewhere that's strange to me, that's alien, and I have nothing to do, it drives me nuts. So touring is the best way to travel for a person like me because I have a reason that I'm there. You know, I have a, kind of like a job to do, um, and that takes at least half of the time that I'm there. And then the rest of it, it's like, okay, cool. Now I want to enjoy myself and see some bands or something. But when you're just going there and the whole purpose is predicated upon viewing bands and seeing people, it's system overload, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's tough. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but MDF is three days, right? Or was it just two? Four? four days fuck me oh 
my god. Yeah. We, we only watched a, three uh, of them. You're out of it. I uh I went on Thursday because that's like it seems to be when all of the doom and kind of the weirder some of the weirder bands. Primitive Man and Yelchin yeah. played Thursday, right? Yeah, I saw both of them. Yeah, me too. And they were sick, I obviously. And then yeah, the rest of the weekend I was at Edison Lot. But yeah, it's a four-day thing. I think they even do a warm-up concert on Wednesday. Um, well, and then that that doesn't that excludes all of the side gigs that happen for subsidiary bands like uh, that punk band Warthog played a few miles mm-hmm. away at Auto Bar, and that was a ripping show. We went to that. And then um, Sidebar, that's like kind of a walking distance from the Rams Head venue and soundstage. They're always doing gigs and stuff too, um, at the same time as MDF. But yeah, there's a lot going on. It's kind of like how Chaos and Chaos was when they were doing that in the two, earlier 2000s in Texas. Would be the main event, and then there's just a subsidiary, like a conglomerate of. Uh, proxy shows, there would be secret shows, you know, things mm-hmm. like this. It's cool, but you really gotta kind of pick and choose. And yeah, I think that's the problem now with a lot of these festivals is that back in the day, a lot of festivals was probably just like, who's around? <laughs> Throw it on and it'll work. It doesn't matter. They could be fucking hair metal, they could be the most guttural death metal. It, it's fine. It's gonna work. You could put fucking Leonard Skinner on the bill. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Whatever yeah. flies. But now it's curated and it's got a specific focus. And you want to like do a little bit off the beaten path here and there, or something like that, or have a contingency of that. It's a lot harder because you're like, yes, I would love to see this band I've seen 20 times at this like massive festival because it's cool as fuck. But also this band that never tours is doing like one show. Like, what do I do? You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of become every festival always has like bands you want to see. But then when you like look at it, it's like our friend Freiberger who set this up, like he was at Psycho Las Vegas. And I'm like, how do you navigate this? Like there's so many, like it's a, from top to bottom, it's a like incredibly stacked bell. And what if you've never been to this thing before? What if you've never seen most of these bands? Like how do you fucking decide? It's crazy. Yeah, Yeah, I guess it comes down to priority. You know, legacy bands, you go, if you've never seen them and you appreciate what they're doing now, what's the odds they're going to be still playing in five years? I mean, maybe that's the band you want to see, but if you know that they're playing total trash, like DSI just fucking up the solos and, and uh, sacrificial suicide or, or any of their old stuff uh, and playing, you know, half the speed that they did on the record. I don't need to see that. Even though I've never seen them, I'd rather go see some band from Spain or something that is playing out here. If it's on their first tour, you know, that kind of thing. Right. I don't know. It's different for everybody. Everybody went and saw Carcass. I missed them, uh, kind of by, by choice because I was just fucking burned out at that time. That was a, when Carcass played. There was that big rainstorm that kicked them off. Of yeah, yeah. And then there was. I wound up leaving early. Yeah, and so we got jammed into the power plant, which I don't know. You said you were at Edison all all weekend, so. But I. Um, I but yeah, I wound up going to. Uh, so I wound up jumping right on the bus to make I sure see. I was there because I was, 
I was very excited to see obituary and carcass. You know, they were yeah. like, when, when that got announced, I was like, well, if I'm not going outside of the country and this is drivable and it's outside for the most part, fuck it, I'll go do this. And I, I got a free place to crash. And I was very excited to see both of those bands. And then just the weather threw such a fucking monkey wrench in there that I wound up leaving Carcass like halfway through just because I was like, I'm exhausted. I need to go home or I'm not going to be able to go out tomorrow. Well, right. And I don't I don't know if you recall, but the the way that everybody just jammed into power plant for Carcass was it wasn't really intended to be there. You know, no. it was beyond capacity and the, and the security guards weren't letting people in or out at a certain point out that's bizarre to me that seems illegal but then what happens i, I work my way up to you know mid-stage and okay a bit obits finishing and carcass is coming on and who plays fucking violence oh and they were terrible in their in place instead of when a when carcass was supposed to play violence played like, give me a fucking break i'm out of here i'm going to the punk show so I was just too pissed to see Carcass, and that's probably the only chance I'd get to see them, but whatever. Whatever. I mean, I got lucky because they announced they were going on tour again, so I was like, oh, I'll just go see them in an actual venue this time. <laughs> but yeah. yes, I I was a little disappointed that I had to sit through a whole violence set, and he, yeah. just, he sounded not good. He sounded really bad. Well, you could hear, they probably did like, uh, guess, and they did kind of what, most of our bands do actually ironically ugly is the only band that i'm in where everyone's in the same state we're in i don't know my wife and i are in maybe four other bands and they're all in the pacific northwest where we moved from and we're in arizona so like now endorphins last is flying to europe tomorrow so i fly in a day early and we do like a gauntlet rehearsal you know and that's what it sounded like that violence dude did because his voice was just cooked He's talking oh, yeah. so hoarse and just his voice is squeaking and stuff. And uh, he probably just blew himself up doing a rehearsal the night before. <laughs> yeah, everything added to my frustration. And I just went, fuck it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the punk show and Carcass can have a ripping gig to all these people that can't get out of the venue even if they wanted to. So... <laughs> Yeah, I was lucky that I did not experience the uh, more aggressive crowd moving in or moving out. Um, that was weird. That was really weird. They, yeah. they wouldn't let you out. You would think they would want to get as many people out as possible. If they want to leave, let them leave. It makes space for everyone else. But yeah, that was weird. Then Yeah, and then after that, everything kind of went fairly smoothly operationally. <laughs> yep. 